Welcome back to Film Fight Club and welcome us back to Sydney. We're back home. It's very different from Melbourne and the Melbourne National Film Festival where we have been the past two weeks. I'm Glenn Falcon, tonight for Falcon Screen, and we have Sydney filmmaker now in Sydney, Chris Evans. You know, I've always wondered why All Star, it plays at the beginning of Shrek, and it's really associated with that movie, even though it's the song from Mystery Men, because it has the Mystery Men characters in the music video. It's definitely the song of that movie, but I was satisfied with the answer only last week after years of pondering this when I found out it's because test audiences enjoyed the temp track placement of All-Star so much they listed it as one of the best things about Shrek. That's the greatest response to introduction I've ever heard. How underrated was Mystery Men? Mystery Men deserves to be remembered. Like, it's so forgotten that people think All-Star is the song from Shrek. And my introduction today was an effort to combat this injustice. Damn straight. Mystery Men is a classic and should be treated as such. And we have with us... Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear freelance writer and critic for Art Nehru. Happy birthday to you. You. Thank you, guys. I'm so glad I'm not the only one singing for a change. I love how great that rhyme worked. Yeah, it, it we I actually didn't plan that. No, that wasn't it was spontaneous. So it was planned at all. Yep. It it uh, it's lucky. I, I'm glad. I hope you guys sing to me every week now because it's it's in rhyme. Well, well someone else's birthday is coming up pretty soon. Uh, is it Mike Myers or Ben Stiller or any of the members of Smash Mouth? I'm totally. I, w- I wish I knew more about Smash Mouth. I really don't know much about them. I don't think many people know much about them other than that they sung a song in, in Rat Race. In, in Rat Race. Why is it in all the movies? I don't know. That yeah, that was that oh, Rat Race wasn't too great. But we are talking not about Rat Race. We are talking about the Meg, the new Jason Statham film, the latest of many many Jason Statham movies. And we are also talking about Blaze, which screened at the Melbourne International Film Festival, the directorial debut of Ethan Hawke. And we are talking Crazy Rich Asians. And we are talking, of course, First Reformed, the new Ethan Hawke film, which uh, screened at the Melbourne International Film Festival and is in very wide release around the world, everywhere except Australia. Jairus, why do not we not get these amazing movies? And then Mirai and many other films to screen at the Melbourne International Film Festival, as well as a brief return, hopefully, to Bodied, the very, very underrated, or not I just say underrated, I think it's an underappreciated film, but it will come to be appreciated surely in months to come. It will be out on YouTube Red. But first, we are going to be talking about The Meg. It is the first film, new film from John Turtletaub, the director of National Treasure. Uh, I think one of my favorite films from the early 2000s, uh, Nicolas Cage, of course, and The Sorcerer's Apprentice, another Nicolas Cage film. It is a Chinese-Australian co-production. And it is starring Statham, of course, and Ruby Rose, Australia's own Ruby Rose, Rain Wilson of Office fame, Bing Bing Lee. Australia's own not lesbian enough Batwoman, Ruby Rose. Can you believe this? This is, yeah, wow. it's ridiculous. People were accusing Ruby Rose of not being lesbian enough to play Batwoman, for those not aware, even though Ruby Rose is a lesbian. Um, and even if she wasn't, I... I personally think that would be okay. I know that this is a contentious issue right now, but to for people harassing an actual lesbian person 
for not being lesbian enough. <laughs> what does it even like, mean? When, when, when being woke goes really, really wrong. Go see bodied. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, she's a very good actress, and I'm looking forward to this because we don't have a lot. I, I think DC DC was always my, always my favorite growing up over Marvel, and DC has been very poorly treated when it comes to film adaptations so ho- or TV adaptations. So hopefully, we get a decent one with her. But this, and hopefully, better than the Meg. This is not a great film. It is Jason Statham. I mean, versus there's shark. a shark in it. I mean, it isn't that what you need? What else do you need in your life except a shark? What else? Well, this isn't a shark. This is a, as Jason Statham says it, this is a megalodon. A megalodon. They go, they do this into the abyss thing where they go down into the, below the Monaro Trench and find a, a megalodon. And instead, it's all the things you've seen in Jaws, but with a $150 million budget and no sense and no great screenplay. Talking of shark movies, the latest Sharknado movie oh, is oh, out on video the, on demand. The time travel one. Yeah, the, the time travel movie. Um, I rem- I remember. Yes, that looks like a hilarious... Another chat was the Sharknado part five. And, oh dear me. And there... But this is hopefully a lot better than the Meg. Because it starts well. It starts great with the Mariana Trench. There's some shenanigans are going on in the studio behind me. We, and we <laughs> apologize, guys. This has been our most ramshackle production to date. This is but, uh, oh, it, it, we've actually missed each other, so we're just having some fun. We've all been away over yeah. a myth. Um, but back to back to the Meg. This is oh. so self-absorbed. Uh, just this is oh dear me. Um, and we. But it, and it ends well. The Meg. Ends. We'll explain later. We'll we'll explain later later on, guys. We, we will. We stay t- tuned. We, we stay tuned. Uh, and it ends very well. It ends in the B movie gray type stuff, the way it should have started and subsisted the entire way through. It is too self serious. Nothing distinctive to separate it from films like films that did this sort of shtick better, like Piranha 3D. And I think the first Sharknet. I was a big fan of the subsequent ones. Rain Wilson is the best thing about this film. Paige Kennedy is incredibly annoying and is just thrown in to do random. We need to relieve some tension now, even though there wasn't really anything tense going on. Um, there are better shark films that you can find almost, or films about the sea that you can find on Netflix or in almost anywhere. So maybe seek one of those out. The next film we are talking about is Blaze, which is the new film, or the first directorial film, from Ethan Hawke. It premiered at the Melbourne International Film Festival, and it stars Ben Dickey as folk star Blaze Foley, alias Shortcut, who many will know as Maybe from Arrested Development, who stars in the film, was there to introduce the film, and uh, Virat and I saw this together at the Comedy Theatre. Virat, what did you think of Blaze? Well, it's a very ironic thing that we saw this at the Comedy Theatre because the film had little or no comedy in it. But also, it kind of eulogizes this uh, little or less known country western singer phenomena from the 80s called Blaze Foley. I have I have no idea about this person. But the, the kind of process of the track this movie takes, or Ethan Hawke decides to take, which is his uh, directorial debut, so... Uh, congrats to him for being now called a actor-director, is that he basically presumes that we know a lot about Blaze without contextualizing his life or his achievements. And for a long time, I just felt this was just a tale of someone who's sad, drunk, and wallowing in self-pity without any justification for it. Even though Ben Dickey, and Ben Dickey's a breakout first role it is and he's fantastic in what he's given having to play with uh 
it's something that I felt fell into the trap of what I would call the postmodern sainthood or David Foster valorization of the characters. So where this uh, kind of uh, presentation of Blaze Foley is basically trying to make him into a David Foster Wallace kind of figure of the music world. Someone who's like a musical saint or patron saint of music as David Foster Wallace has now become the patron saint of postmodern literature after his death. So that kind of thing. And Blaze Foley's life itself unfolds in that kind of fashion where he does die in very mysterious circumstances and there's mystery and sainthood around that and people eulogize him to that extent. So uh, in that sense, this kind of literary, sorry, musical maverick template kind of weighs thin a little bit, but the performances are very good. And Ethan Hawke really does know how to get good performances out of the cast, which is actually very good. But not Act- actors tend to be great directors of actors. They do, but unfortunately he's not out of himself. He is wasted in this. We only see the back of his head. And it's a little self-indulgent to just be an actor as renowned, as brilliant as Ethan Hawke, and just only show the back of your head and you're speaking. And this is one of the things that frustrated me about this film, in that where they c- he couldn't fill in more dramatic flourishes or traditional drama, he just had two characters narrating to an interview in a semi-fictionalized way, which was very frustrating to me. Um, I, happen to, I happen to agree with the very strongly. I think this film relies on a pre-existing knowledge and awareness, not only who this man is, but of the significance of his work. I certainly did not know about Blaze Foley before this film. I was introduced to him through this film. It reminded me very much of Bornsby Blue, the Ethan Hawke biopic of Chet, Fake, of Chet Baker, excuse me, which was made, which was between last year at the Melbourne International Film Festival, which was a lot better because um, it did it introduced us to Baker, but it also presumed a level of awareness of him also. But I think fairly so, audiences will be more familiar with a figure like Baker. The performance was very good. Underrated actor Wyatt Russell from Ingrid Goes West. Alia Shokat was excellent. Um, there were also a few excellent actors cast in this. Sam Rockwell, Steve Jean, who just rocked up for a, a two scenes, a short cameo, which was um, very strange. Um, I think the movie was very much all over the place in terms of scripting. Um, it told us how the film will end about half an hour in and then kept teasing the ending to the point of uh, yeah, the film could have ended at least five times before it actually ended. And by that point, I was just sick of it. And also, the music choices. There's too much of his music used, and I'm not a fan of country-western genre itself, and I was just a bit rolling my eyes, not sarcastically, genuinely, and I felt, you know, enough of his music, and we just get along with the story now. Well, I wouldn't say it was so much country-western as it was folk music, but I did... Yeah, I mean, just I didn't understand it. But I actually didn't mind the way the music was used in this. It reminded me of Jersey Boys, where the music is deployed separate to the action throughout to kind of tell a narrative and a story and a theme. So that I did appreciate. But overall, I think the film, in terms of scripting, left a lot wanting. That was Blaze, the new Ethan Hawke film. The next film we are talking about, which is in cinemas tomorrow, is West of Sunshine. It's a new Australian indie film about a father who's a courier um, who has to pay some gambling debts off uh, to a loan shark. Um, on the day that he has to take his son around with him on his courier job, which turns into his drug dealing job, um, as the events of the day will have it. Um, and of course, father son bonding happens, life lessons are learned, etc. He's a he's divorced, he has a strained relationship with his son. Um, you know, this is the one you know, a rare day that he gets to spend out with his son, it's sort of implied and the movie is sort of tracing the the turn from um, deadbeat dad kind of style interactions between the two of them to uh, endearing uplift. But I felt that it did not 
convince. Um, it's as formulaic as I'm making it sound. Um, and that's really the least of its problems, I think. Um, it struck me as a not very well put together film right from the opening sequence. It reminded me of some of the earliest writing advice I got back when I was in primary school that, you know, a story shouldn't begin with. And today I woke up and I put on my clothes and then I went out. There's all this dead time just following the protagonist father character getting ready for work while the opening credits play out. And it's just it's not well visualized or interesting to watch. So I was just thinking, why, why am I sitting through this? instead of just cutting to when the interesting stuff starts happening. Um, the acting is pretty poor throughout. Um, I found it to be quite badly visualized. It's There's no real imagination in any of the shots or cinematography throughout. It's shot in a fairly bland, handheld, documentary-type way. Um, but there's just amateurish kind of mistakes in direction going on. Like, there's a sequence involving bags of heroin getting scattered along the ground and... Um, this might sound like a nitpick, but um, I was so off the wavelength of the film by the time this scene came around that I just found myself getting distracted by how a bag of heroin had teleported across the room. Um, uh, that, that doesn't usually happen. <laughs> yeah, it it just it, it felt like people aren't really sure how to where to put the camera or how to build a sequence so that there's real spatial continuity, like this fell over here, uh, you know, stuff scattered out of a bag over here, so it shouldn't be over there. Um, the turns towards, you know, uplifting uh, moments in the relationship between the father and the son felt really unearned to me. Um, basically, what we see in in this day is the, the guy, the father, treating the son really badly um, throughout, but based on a few kind of um, moments where the movie suddenly turns to this, like, Terrence Malick-esque lyrical in quotation marks sunset photography we're supposed to believe that the son now forgives his father for the terrible treatment he's received throughout and that dad's actually a great father after all i just didn't buy this redemption story um cramming huge emotional turns into a story that's meant to take place in a day um is a big ask and requires a really skilled hand and this film is way too similar to films you've seen before uh, it doesn't feel genuine. The characterization um, is flat and the turns of the plot are ludicrous. So I think we deserve better in Australian film. So that was West of Sunshine. Um, seeing the trailer and listening to Chris, it reminded me of a film I actually quite enjoyed last year. Watched The Sunset, which we did the Underground Film Festival and at Revelation, which was a one-shot take about a man who's also trying to redeem himself to his family and whose actions have endangered uh, the lives of those around him. However, the one that being shot in one take, you can forgive the lack of certain things, things that were not here or there, or special awareness or whatnot, but it seems in a more traditionally well, shot film it wasn't so forgivable. Yeah, because there isn't anything really of visual interest, so you pay a lot of attention to the points of the plot and the characterization. And it's so thin here. The guy sort of jumps between being a dickhead to now, you know, he has a hard after all kind of moment. So you can just see the formula of hitting the beats going on as you watch it. And, yeah, there's no illusion going on. There's no suspension of disbelief. So that was West of Sunshine. It is in cinemas tomorrow. The next film we are talking about is also an Ethan Hawke film, which has been released around the world and it's screened at the Melbourne International Film Festival, which has been getting a lot of very strong buzz, which is First Reformed. 
Yeah, First Reformed, uh, the new Paul Schrader film, uh, who's also directed Mishima, Life in Four Chapters, one of my all-time favorite movies. Probably most famous is the writer of Taxi Driver. Yeah, but I have that in Criterion, so I'm going <laughs> to... Okay, so wait, 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 we're 15 minutes in. We have Terrence Malick, we have David Foster Wallace, and we have Criterion. We've hit all the beats <laughs> of the film five We haven't mentioned David Lynch yet. Yes, we have. Have we? <laughs> Just then. Oh, yeah. We, we, covered, covered, we, covered, we covered everything. <laughs> all the Davids of the world. Uh, oh, my God. Uh Shit, I'm such a walking cliche right Okay, now. so <laughs> First Reformed <laughs> is about <laughs> Ethan Hawke as a former military chaplain who is now the priest of First Reformed Church, a tourist trap in a town where most Christians attend a Hillsong-esque megachurch. Uh, the owners of, the, of that church sponsor the upkeep of First Reformed. And so the, uh, this character's quest is really one of... Um, does anyone, you know, am I making a difference in this world? Does anyone care about what I have to say? How do I make a difference? Because, you know, he's um, suffered a great tragedy in his life and is sort of stumbling through without direction and wondering if anyone's listening when suddenly um, Amanda Seyfried, who plays a uh, member of his congregation called Mary. If if you don't, <laughs> oh, call, well, okay. Talk right. about foreshadowing. Paul, yeah. Paul Schrader has never been one for subtlety. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> but this film actually is, is a lot more subtle than I is expected it to be because it does hit you in the face initially, you, and as it goes on, it does become into it, that much look, more the, subtle the meditation. The style is restrained, but um, some of the flourishes towards the end, uh, the signature Paul Schrader over the topness, Mary asks him to see her husband, who is despairing after Mary's become pregnant because he uh, he's concerned that there's no future for the human race because of the effects of climate change, and he thinks that their son would not forgive them. It's and ironic this, uh, yeah. because we were trying to discuss this exact issue about trying to bring a child into this universe in, in another film to, called um, A Quiet Race. A, a Quiet Place. Sorry. Not A Quiet Race. Of course, sorry. Uh, <laughs> it actually would have been a decent title for that film, come to think of it. Yes, the human race yeah. has to be very quiet to survive yeah. uh, in that film. But in this universe, um, Ethan Hawke feels that the human race has to be a lot louder about climate change and his voice is being trampled out by the powers that be in the megachurch up the road and he feels that there's nobody he can trust. And the movie is following his descent into madness all the while holding out hope that there is some kind of salvation through human connection throughout this inner despair. Uh, That's the principal theme that the film's about. What did you think of the quality of it? I'm so glad I saw it in Hoyt's 11, which is the biggest screen there was. I think there's something to be said about the aesthetic quality of the movie and how it's shot and the scenes that look farcical on paper, actually do come alive in the inventiveness of, especially towards the end when it does go over the top. I think that execution uh, towards the end where it just becomes fantastical and it actually does it, yeah, it has connect this kind with of, you on this level. Right. It has, uh, <laughs> yeah. it has this kind of flattened look. Uh, Paul Schrader has mentioned, as well as Robert Bresson, Carl Theodore Drea as an inspiration for this film. And yeah, the look of it reminds me of another great spiritual film, or et. Um, Odette. And it takes uh, the actual climax of the film is very much like Odette, which yes. Paul Schrader does acknowledge as well. And it doesn't go the taxi driver way, it goes the Odette way, which is also a very interesting choice given the film, for the most part, is like Taxi Driver. I, I didn't find this film as engaging as I was hoping to throughout, but the ending really snuck up on me. I think Paul Schrader 
at the last in the last moments and as well as at a few points throughout touches on something really beautiful here about the frailty of the human soul and the necessity of connection i think i think it's actually really good and it uses climate change and often i mean we're talking about how climate change movies are just you know tokenistic or they try to become something lesser than they actually are but it actually uses the very real issue of climate change and takes it in places where you wouldn't think it would go. It, you, so in that sense, it's very restrained. Yeah, it uses it as a way to explore the theme of human corruption and despair and hope. It's interesting to me because I look at climate change films and I think of major blustering blockbusters like Geostorm and the much better Game exactly, of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems that we're going for a lower scaled version here, yeah. which hasn't the, been done very much or well at all. I I think this film was necessary because I had a moment a few years back when I realized how bad the climate change situation was of existential panic, um, of, you know, akin, maybe not <laughs> taking me to the same places, but that made me able to relate to what Amanda Seyfried's partner's character um, and Ethan Hawke's character go through in this film. I think it, it's something that people are avoiding confronting. Um, so I think it, it's necessary that we have these kinds of political films to grapple with this or to, you know... And, um, and the kind of idea of religious a, it, questioning yeah, and moral questioning right. that Ethan Hawke's character actually has to undertake and sadly, yeah, this will God forgive us? Yes, exactly. It's a very pertinent question in the movie, which yes. comes up again and again and it, again this, in a very real way. That's right. I thought the um, idea of faith and this climate change anxiety were tied together really well. But yeah, the reason why I feel like it's necessary to make a film like this right now is this is a really unique um, human experience in the 21st century that hasn't been documented before. And I think it's um, brave and bold of, of, of an old pro and, you know, a veteran director like Paul Schrader to delve into subject matter that's very much of the now and people's p- contemporary present concerns and go so deeply into the considerations. I remember when the East came out and these sorts of subjects were treated as indie fair or a little bit out there, but they're slowly coming more into the mainstream and certainly with someone with Ethan Hawke at the helm. Yeah. Um, I talked earlier... He's fantastic in this film. He's, I think he's... He's, he's fantastic in everything. He's so good these days. It's just predictably great. Maudie, all the stuff he's coming out with. Yeah. Um, however, I, last week when we spoke at MIF, I decided my favorite film from the festival, I think it's still my favorite film of the festival, uh, potentially separate from Bodied, as Woman at War, which oh, really? deals oh. with uh, similarly distinctive issues of climate change, how it affects communities, how it affects individuals, and can radicalize and change individuals as it both thematically, spiritually in the case of Woman at War, but very practically encroaches on your life and mm-hmm. the lives of the people you care about. So that, But that took a very comedic route, which is also very interesting, and it became a much more interesting movie because of the way it goes in comedic directions. But this is obviously a very different tone. But yes, climate change is oh, man. grappled with. When we saw in a real way. First Reformed, there was a guy laughing at all the worst moments. Oh yes, he was fitting right in front of us. I remember. And yeah, and people were multiple times in the theater speaking out loud to tell him to stop playing with his phone. And whenever he put it away, he was just laughing at, at dead serious moments. The film does go towards black comedy at some points, but like not at any of the points he laughed at. No. Anyway, uh, that, and this is why of... no one goes to the, the cinemas these days. <laughs> yeah. Also, you do want to kill some people sometimes. No, no, no you don't. We do. No, I said you want to. And that's, that's part of the moral and religious. That's part of the moral of first reforms. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> okay, so, 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 similar themes. Taxi Driver Two had some very much. Wow. Yeah. All right. I it do does, need to see it. It does go into some Taxi Driver esque territory. Fascinating. Without spoiling anything. 
Okay, excellent. So that is First Reform. The next one we are talking about is Mirai, which is at the Sydney Film Festival and at the Melbourne International Film Festival. And it's coming out in limited release this Thursday. And it is one you should see. Tomorrow. It is a beautiful, beautiful Japanese film. And I think who was supposed to have caught it most recently? I think it was Virat. It was Virat. Yeah, uh, that's because of Chris's recommendation because he caught it at Sydney. And so I caught it at in Melbourne and I saw it at Hoyt's 11 which is also the biggest screen Hoyt's are getting more publicity today than you know than <laughs> no, ever before on Sydney Radio honestly Melbourne Central uh, <laughs> Hoyt's Melbourne Central you, you know what that giant tower is in the middle of Melbourne Central an old gun tower it's an old gun tower that's yeah, how that's these incredible. make bullets it's, it's, it's insane that it's still there I agree from gun towers to cinema halls uh, I mean honestly it, I mean, I'm saying Hoyt's 11 again and again because I don't think Otherwise, I would get a chance to see these movies on that bigger screen. I mean, it's the biggest screen I've had the privilege to see these movies in. And I don't think Mirai is getting that kind of release where it would get released no, in that No, it would be in screen. little shoebox theaters. Yeah. So, and actually, this you is a movie still go to that... The shoebox theaters. Yes. They're great. And I actually prefer those environments. Palace Central. It's so lovely. Yeah, you should go to a shoebox theater. But actually, this film, it really did come alive on that bigger screen. It, it was fascinating. It's lovely. And it's something that you can... Take your sibling too because it's so emotionally wrecking. And honestly, I, I, I thought I'm, the, I'm, I'm the ending's cynic. really beautiful. I'm a, I'm a cynic. I'm a critic, and you know, nothing in the world can move me. Blah blah blah. But I was crying. I don't think okay. it always works, but I think I really like how this movie juggles tones. Early on, we've got this incredible prolonged slapstick set piece, and then by the end of the movie, it's in. That's what threw me because I, I was thinking, oh my god, this is supposedly, you know, this is just a happy-go-lucky kind of film. I got ready for that, and then just. Swept the carpet from under my feet. It's so and funny was, and clever the way yeah. that this opening comedy set piece is. Staged. And that's the thing. I mean, we 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 say about animated films and what they've achieved and stuff, but the animation is gorgeous. It's so yeah, on point. Yeah. But also the storytelling in this film is right on par with First Reformed or any of the more dramatic movies. It's it has an impact which a lot of movies don't have. From a festival point of view, yeah. go see it. It's actually out it, in, in wide release. It's out so in Sydney, yeah. Mamoru Hosoda, the director, is really getting better and better and better. You might have seen some of his other films that have come to Australian cinemas in recent years, like um, Boy and the Beast or Wolf Children or Girl Who Leapt Through Time or Summer Wars. And I think Mirai is as good as anything he's put out before. True air to Studio Ghibli. Wonderful. So that was Mirai. Um, I saw it too, and I adored it. Please do see it. The last film we are talking about, uh, we're going to be talking about it in more detail in subsequent weeks, and I think this is a film that will certainly gain momentum and importance over the course of the coming months. Certainly has gotten a lot of buzz, but that is Crazy Rich Asians, which is out next Thursday. It is starring Constance Wu from Fresh Off the Boat and Henry Golding as a couple in New York, and he invites her to meet his parents in Singapore, who are the, quote, crazy rich Asians of the title. The title is pretty self-explanatory as to what this film is about. What is significant about it is that, to my reckoning, it is the first major Hollywood release, certainly on the scale, with an all-Asian cast, which is very significant. And certainly many Asian actors have been relegated to supporting characters or token roles in previous films and in many films for decades. And this is very refreshing to see culturally distinct and different films. Certainly a very enjoyable one. It's starring Michelle Yeoh as one of the matriarchs of the family who the Constance Wu character, Rachel, goes to meet. Um, it's a romantic comedy a la many we've seen from years past. Um, I think this will inevitably be compared to my big, my big fat Greek wedding. I think the style of this, however, is much more 
irreverent. Um, there are a lot of hallmarks of romantic comedies and certainly ones that, and hallmarks of, I think, Asian culture, which will be endearing to many people who see this film. There are some very many hilarious moments, so I think ones that fairly people from any uh, cult background can certainly relate to and have some fun with. The story-wise, it's not too inventive or surprising, but it is enjoyable. Um, There is a superb wedding sequence, which has some absolutely visually stunning flourishes. I couldn't believe it. I've never seen someone stage a wedding like that. I'm sure some extremely opulent weddings are staged as such, but it was certainly very entertaining and grossing to see. And there's a bachelor party where there's some particularly uh, interesting and hilarious visuals with a helicopter that is one of the few incredibly extravagant things which take place in this film. The end, it becomes, I think, uh, it moves in simply more dramatic direction as um, members of the families strongly clash. I think, and it's certainly setting up for sequels. There are three books in this series, so I think there will be more to come based on the, this film. That, And we'll be discussing more in subsequent weeks. That is Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, we just have a minute left, but uh, we are glad to be back in Sydney, in Sydney, reading Sydney Air, and it's, it, it's, it, was a, it was a crazy couple of weeks at MIFF. It's enjoyable. I mean, um, we're just film festival junkies. We can't do this just once a year. We have to just cram our eyes with as many films as possible every couple of months or how will we survive? I, I, I don't know. And like Suff, Slaff, the Sydney Underground Film Festival, the Latin American Film Festival, all this stuff's coming up. So we're just going to be eyeballs to the screen. I should explain uh, why we were falling over each other laughing earlier. I was trying to signal to uh, Virat... Sorry, I was trying to signal to Glenn to turn Virat's microphone down, but he thought that I was saying to play the song that he's about to play, which would have randomly interrupted um, the flow of the episode, which would have been great. But anyway, enjoy. Enjoy. And Virat, happy birthday. Happy birthday, man. This has been Glenn Falcon, Chris Evans, and birthday boy Virat Nehru. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Good night. Kind of dumb with her feet.